Welcome back to the fire drill. On this week's episode, uh, Matt Janella joined the three of us uh, to have his takes on the Genesis. But before we get into that, Tuesday, episode five of The Grind on our YouTube channel, Fire Pit Collective YouTube. Go there, uh, subscribe, like, comment, do all those things. Uh, thanks to Golf Tech for their support of that awesome series. Uh, get a lot of messages on Twitter about, hey, I like the full swing, or it was okay, but I'd like to see some. Well, we have one, so go check it out. Uh, it's about the grinders and what life looks like for people not flying in private planes. Um, so this week's episode, Matt joined us, Michael, Alan, myself, and we talked John Rahm and his domination. We obviously talked Tiger. Uh, he was the biggest story of the week, despite Ron's, Rahm's dominance. Uh, we talked Bernhard Lager. Uh, and his dominance on the Champions Tour. And so another great conversation with a lot of great stories from everybody. I mean, it's everything that I'd love about the fire drill. It's the four of us talking golf. Here we go. I got thoughts in my head. Can't get them out. Trying not to think what I'm thinking about. I got thoughts in my head. Can't get them out. Trying not to think what I'm thinking about Hello, this is Alan Shipnuck, back for another Fire Drill podcast. As always, joined by Michael Bamberger and Ryan French. And today we have the pleasure of Matt Janella joining us. We have Philadelphia, Oceanside, and the heartland of America covered. And I'm here in Northern California, so... We've all been um, tuned into the final round at Riviera. John Rahm is a monster. He's the master's favorite. He's the clear number one in the world, no matter what some dumb math formula says. Um, command performance by John Rahm. Uh, what do we, I mean, we've been talking about this guy all year. He seems like he's winning every week, but uh, Riviera is a place where Tiger Woods never won or Jack Nicholas. And Rahm actually mentioned that. He was aware of that unusual statistic and uh said it'd be meaningful to pick one off here it's an elevated event there's all these different layers to this but uh, what do you guys think of this performance and this victory long pause uh the uh i mean the guy's ridiculous it's it's like i mean i he's how is he not the favorite every time he tees it up at no matter what course it is? I mean, he's, uh, there was a lot of debate on, on this show, on this podcast, on others of like, is Cam Smith, is John Rahm the best player in the world right now? Is Max Homa? Uh, no, it's John Rahm. The dude is ridiculously good and, uh, a stone cold killer and complains more than any best golfer in the world I've ever seen in my life. That's <laughs> part of his charm. <laughs> You know, if we don't get to see Cam Smith playing uh, on the PGA Tour anymore, if he were, he, he possibly would give this guy a run for his money. But lacking that, uh, we don't have him. I mean, this Cam Smith makes putts from everywhere and uh, probably putts better and chips better and pitches better than anybody in the game. Uh, so it's kind of really hard to know. Uh, it was a wonderful tournament. It's great to see Riviera. Uh, but it kind of does make you miss some of the – some of the people who aren't uh, in the field, I'm not taking a single thing away from John Rahm, uh, but it is a little, he, he, yeah, he's the runaway best golfer on the PGA Tour right now, but the PGA Tour is missing some big talents. 
That's a good point. Matt, what do you think? Well, I, I think it's, it's Rom. I think it, you know, Rom has proven himself to be the guy who to go to, to get to number one, you got to go through Rom and Scotty Scheffler went through Rom to get there. And I think other players are going to try to, to compete with him, but it's, it's, it's his for the taking and keeping for the foreseeable future. He's going, you know, I don't think there's going to be this long chunk of time where John Rom isn't able to perform at a very high level, regardless of the course, regardless of the conditions of the course, the setup of the course, whether it's a major, an elevated event, Ryder Cup, he's a beast. He, you know, he's his focus is being number one and being the greatest of all time and winning as many, you know, like he's a product of Seve, Tiger, technology, you know, athleticism. <laughs> he's got he's got everything. And 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 a focus. I've you know, I told this story recently on one of these podcasts of a Jason day event and everyone's partying and fraternizing and having fun. And all he was doing was just hitting shots, competing against himself or competing against anybody wanting to compete against him. He's, he's built for this. And, um, and I just don't see him, you know, letting go of that wheel anytime soon. It's going to be fun to watch. I mean, that's a great point. Cause Rory has, for a while now has seemed ambivalent about, uh, you know, he wants, he wants to de-emphasize results and not let them define him. And he wants to, uh, you know, be, uh, an ambassador and a statesman and a dad and a husband and, you know, uh, a, a book critic. It seems like sometimes golfers way down on the list for him and a brand builder and a visionary and a, and a venture capitalist and all these things. Rom just wants to win tournaments. He wants to be number one. Like his life is simple. And um, as you say, Matt, like he, he, he doesn't try and hide from it. He, he's, he's very open with his ambition. And I think that frees him up, you know, where Rory's almost conflicted, like, Oh, is golf too important? And uh, for Rom, it's like, it's, it's the sun and the moon for him. And that's what I like. I mean, that it's always frustrating when you have a, a massive talent who doesn't chase it as hard as they could, right. In any sport. Um, and sometimes Rory, it feels that way with Rory, but with Rom, it's like, just bring it on, man. He, he wants it every week. And th- to me, I mean, that's what I love in, in a great athlete. Alan, where is uh, Rom with still managed by Steve Loy, isn't he? Yes. And, and does Loy still manage Phil? Yes. And what, what are the other relationships there? He's, he's good friends with Phil's brother. And yeah, and yeah. I mean, who, Tim Mickelson was Rom's agent until he decided to become Phil's full-time caddy. And uh-huh. I mean, I asked Rom about this not that long ago and uh, I guess it was in Kapalua and he said, he's still friends with Phil. You know, they, they'll still play recreational golf. He still respects him. They just have a strong disagreement on, you know, where to make their living. But, uh, you know, one thing that's been impressive about Rom is in this very um, acrimonious time for professional golf. He's been a voice of reason and, and, you know, gentleness and he's been conciliatory, you know, he's, he, he, it's been genuine from him where he said, you know, I, I wish we could all be together. I'd like these guys on the Ryder cup team. And I was just talking to a, um, a live golfer who must remain 
anonymous, unfortunately. And he was basically like, fuck Rory. Like that guy, we're so tired of his sanctimony. Uh, but Rom, Rom's cool. You know, I see him around. He's really cool to all of us. <laughs> I thought it was, it was just, uh, that's the feeling of a lot of the guys on that tour. Um, you know, the Rom has, has stayed above the fray, even as he's, you know, been a, a strong advocate for the tour. And he's, he's, you know, he's, his, his, his allegiance to the tour, his fealty to the tour has been very important, but um, he's managed to very, to walk a very fine line where he can still say nice things about the live guys. He can still hope that we can put the game back together. And, and I think he's kind of been elevated in all this as, as just a, a, a voice of reason. He's sort of Dustin Johnson, like in that regard, one might say Dustin Johnson is to uh, America what John Rahm is to, to, to Europe, you know, just sort of, People like him, even though uh, they don't resent his talent. And, uh, you know, he just walks a fine line of being honest and standing for golf, which there's not a lot of that right now. Yeah, no, nobody has shown really any any ill will towards Dustin for going to live, which is amazing. But part of it is because he very publicly resigned his PGA Tour membership in the, in the beginning, and he didn't sign on to the lawsuits. And... That's why a lot of the tour guys have been bitter because they're getting sued by their ex-colleagues and and they, they feel like a lot of them, you know, they want it both ways. They want to play in the FedEx Cup. They want this. They want that. You know, Dustin is, has never asked for any of that. He's he's always just said, hey, man, I took the money. I'm having fun. And um, and he's he's made his position very clear. So I, I think you're right. No one's mad at, at Rom. No one's mad at Dustin. Everyone else is kind of caught in the shrapnel. But Ryan, have you ever had a chance to get to uh, Riviera? I did. Uh, I caddied a, uh, for Mark in a pro am uh, last year. Uh, for those that are listening that don't know, there's a lot of pro ams that happen that are not associated with the like the actual Wednesday pro am that most people know. So uh, there's a lot of pros that get paid to come. Mark, Mark got paid three thousand dollars, and uh, and we Mark and I talked about it uh, this week. Is uh, I mean, it just shows the top players how good they are. I think Mark shot like one under or something like that. And he like hit it good. That course is so hard. And like to think that whatever he finished at 1700, 1800, it's just ridiculous. The place was ridiculously good. So for the, for the three of you guys, and so all four of us have, have been there, and I'm, I'm sure uh, Matt and Alan, uh, like me, you've probably been there lots over the years. Uh, what did you think of the course? Uh, in, there's a lot of ways to say this is the start of the PJ Tour, but getting to Riviera is a staple of the PJ Tour season. What, what was it like for you guys seeing the golf course on TV? Go ahead, Matt. I know you have some feelings on this. No, I, I, I mean, I, I love the golf course. I, I love, I love the tournament. I love uh, how it separates players who are playing great. Uh, from players who are not playing great that you, you know, over four days, you know, four rounds, all the different shots you have to, you have to hit all the different great iron shots you have to hit wh- where you miss matters. <laughs> I mean, in so many ways, shapes and forms, um, I, I just, it, it's golden age, golden age architecture at its finest. It's, it gets lauded by the, by the architectural geeks, but it also gets appreciated by people who just love, love great golf. Uh, it gets, you know, gets, it's got respect from the greatest players of the game, from the, the modern day architects, 
it's marveled for it's marveled at for all the right reasons. I, I love you know it's got controversial you know the tenth hole itself creates so much great debate um, and you know Homa birding it all four days. <laughs> of course he did because he appreciates, understands, you know respects great architecture strategy. He's a thinking, you know, he's a thinker out there on the golf course. Uh, you know, I just, I, I love Riviera. Uh, you know, I think Daniel Rappaport said, oh, this is the greatest course of the PGA Tour season. And there's not a close second. I disagree with that. I think just at the AT&T, you have three golf courses that are in the conversation, whether or not you think Pebble's better than Riviera or Spyglass is better than Pebble or Monterey Peninsula Shore is in the conversation. I think they're in the conversation. I, I love Riviera for all that it provides. Um, and And I wish we had more of it on the tour where it's not necessarily – just about like brute strength and length and you have to move it right and left and long and short. Um, I think, I think it's, it is, it's a fabulous venue. Thankfully we get to see the best players play it. It's a private golf course. Not a lot of us of any of us, whatever us is gets to play it. So it's fun to watch it and, and, uh, and, and enjoy it every, every year. I agree with every word of that, but you know, watching today, the you know the fourth hole that that redam par three you know only fourteen percent of the field actually hit it in regulation and like it's just a bad hole they got to redo that green like you can't have a par three but no one can hold the green that and so that's a little blemish and ten I mean I've always Wait, loved did you 10. say four Alan did you say fourteen percent of the players hit that green yeah that's a joke I mean that's Shinnecock Hills level yeah. joke yeah and, and I mean that that's on that's a firmness factor that's a modern day green speed factor you know and then things have to be things have to evolve and adjust and maybe they look at those numbers and say okay we have to adjust it you know a tweak there would be very helpful but even the problem with ten is that the green has gotten so extreme I mean what's great about a a drivable par four is that you can actually drive the green, right? Nobody can drive the green there. It's impossible to hold it. So then the smart play like, is just to lay it up out there to the left and it's basically now like a 50-yard par three. You just lay it up a, a little short left and you, you pitch it on. Um, okay, but, so Jim, but, but still, hold on. Let me just stop you there for a second because if you say it's a drivable par four, maybe it's not a drivable par. It's just a short four. Short four doesn't mean it's drivable. Just because it's short doesn't mean you should be able to actually drive it. I guess, but I mean, people used to try, and but now it's just like the penalty that it's so extreme around that green that if if you're if you're out of position, you can easily make a six, and so uh, the the plays become more and more just to go out there to the left and just kind of pitch it on, and um, so I, I think you're right. I mean, you're right, Matt. It's how you define it, but. If you if you twenty years ago it was a drivable par four and people tried to drive it and you could drive it and and now it's just like uh, I don't know I I think that you talk about evolution because of the equipment and everything else I think that hole has evolved for the worse so uh, that's my only complaint Riviera you, you have two holes that are very borderline and it's 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 a fun debate I threw it out there on Twitter today and a bunch of people wrote back saying that's why I love it you know the, the game's too easy for these guys. I want them uh, to be stressed. Alan, I'll give you Alan, I'll give you a three, I'll give you a third hole. How about 18 with Zalatoris and driver and a sandwich? 
Yeah, that was, well, you know, that's a joke. <laughs> I know. It's. I remember. I remember um, Robert <laughs> Allenby hitting a forward in there to win a playoff back in the day in the nineties. Like that's not Riviera. It was raining and there was like nine. <laughs> oh, it was a little chilly. Nevertheless, yeah. I mean the. Um, I put out a tweet about 10 that I don't have an opinion because I I saw so many, I saw so many articles, tweets, uh, uh, long form, deep dives. I was just like, Hey, I just like everybody to know. I have no opinion about number 10. I don't don't know. It's fine. It's just all you can. So did you consult with Jeff Ogilvy's mother? I did, and I just was like, hey, you know what? I don't care about uh, number 14 at Detroit Country Club. You know why? I just don't care about it. I just don't. That's totally valid. I mean, it's the ultimate first world problem. The yeah, it's like, oh, like yeah, yeah. 78 articles about a fucking hole. Just, can we just move on with it already? <laughs> no, <laughs> we can Or make a two or make a nine, and let's go to the 11th hole. Okay, 11's a great hole, by the way. <laughs> I mean, I I love that, Ryan. You're absolutely right. But it does speak to something larger about how, you know, we've got these ancient playing fields that are 100 years old or more. They're the most beloved courses we have. And to Michael's point about, you know, flip wedges in 18, I mean, as the game is always evolving and of course like Riviera is hemmed in, they can't they can't they can't stretch it at all. I mean, there's nowhere to go. And so it brings up these larger points about the equipment, about the USGA being asleep at the wheel and it makes, you know, it makes you wonder about the, you know, the future, like, I mean, and Riviera is now, this is even more relevant because it's going to host the Olympics. Um, it's got a lot of big time. It's got the U S women's open coming. Like it's on a, it's going to be a stage like that's one of the elite in the entire sport. And so if it's being compromised by all these different factors, it's, it, it demands a little examination to your point. So I, one interesting thing about uh, Tenet Riviera, and I can't believe I'm going to say this because I just said I don't care about it, and now I'm going <laughs> to say why I care about it. Uh, Classic is, uh, French. I don't yeah. care, but. But, one second. Scott Fawcett, for those that don't know, decade, like he kind of changed the game. Like Everybody used to lay up, or a large majority of players used to lay up on that hole, and then he did all the shot link thing, and it's like it plays a half a, a stroke Easier if you go at the green and now everybody goes at the green and now it might have changed this year. But like it is crazy what modern technology, not only on the course, but off the course, like no one had access to every single shot and what that player made from that spot. And so Scott Fawcett is like, hey, here's the facts. Like if you go at the green, you're going to make a half a stroke less over four days than if you lay up. That's not you know, he's made it factual. So the, the technology advancements are not just the club and the ball. It's access to those numbers that make the decision mathematical. That's a fantastic point. I mean, it also speaks to how hard that green is that guys laying up to a sand wedge, you know, full swing, swing sand wedge, like they can't even hold the green from 80 yards or whatever. So uh, it's, it's an interesting debate that we don't have to continue any further, but it's an, an annual one. For oh, sure. I think we should. I'd really like to hear more. About All right. We, well, no disrespect to John Rom, but in some, at least Thursday and Friday, I'd say the star of, and possibly even Saturday when he played great, the star of the week was the host Tiger Woods. And, you know, his, his first time at a, at a real tournament uh, in, in quite a while. And uh, 
you know, he grounded out. I, unfortunately, he was over par on Sunday, which just continues this trend where as the week goes on, he just he just loses vigor. And, in, and it's more and more of a struggle with his with his ankle and his, his leg and his body. And so there was just enough flashes there where, you know, it looks like Tiger Woods can still play golf. But for him to walk, you know, 30 miles across four days and all the the preparation that needs to be tournament sharp, you know, that I think it's an open question. But uh, Michael, uh, you wrote a very insightful piece on firepitcollective.com ahead of the tournament. Um and one of the takeaways was, you know, it's Tiger Woods. You can never underestimate him. So be careful. Do so at your own peril. But what uh, what did you make of his performance? Not so much the performance, more just looking at the man, where he is in his life and how much he still needs competitive golf in his life. Because like Michael Jordan and many others uh, that we've seen over the years, it's really has defined his life. And uh he, he is a tremendous philanthropist. You know, I'm sure all of us have have read a lot about what he's done, and he seems to be very devoted to his to his kids and a budding architecture business and all the rest. But he's a competitive golfer. 47 is not old today if you haven't uh, had all the setbacks to your body that uh, the, the Tigers had. So it's it's kind of actually heartbreaking to see how important it is to him, but it's also just part and parcel of the life of the athlete and this particular athlete. I think it's, it's, uh, I don't see an easy path forward for him to be really truthful about it. I don't know what really is going to bring deep meaning to his life. Cause this is probably pretty much as, as good as he can play right now. I mean, after that deep thought, what do I do? What do you follow all that up with? But uh, it is, I think it, I, I just wrote an article. I love Tiger for different reasons. And I'll take it from a different perspective. Like he's just such an icon in the game. The guy barely made the cut for most of the day. Friday was outside the cut. Um, and he is always the needle. And Whatever tour he's on, he is going to is going to be the tour that people want to be on. Uh, and and no matter what this, whether it's realistic or not, today gives everyone hope that in April he can win the Masters again, and and we'll all be locked in. And he changes the game. That's all there is to it. Like I tweeted jokingly, like I took a picture of he was one below the cut line. It's like, hey, all you guys are playing for a lot of money because of the guy who's won outside the cut line. Maybe it's time to make some bogeys. But um, on my article on firepitcollective.com that will be out today or tonight is I think he's just matured as a human being. And he's a flawed human being like us. But uh, he's just an important part, so important part of the game. And his little interaction with Justin after the first round and the way he does interviews now, I just think that he's grown up a lot. Uh, and it's just fun to see him out there. How about you guys? You know, in some ways, I think I would agree with you, Ryan. I think he, he's growing up. We all, we're all on our own path of maturation perspectives, you know, life altering experiences, 
whether those be car accidents or someone close in your life dies or some, something happens that rocks you to the core and makes you think differently. We have, you know, again, covering Tiger since 1995. I know, Michael, we've all, we've all been basically covering him in some way, shape or form. Um, I, I, there, there's Tiger, the golfer competitor. Uh, there's Tiger, sort of the dad and man. There's Tiger, the the buddy and 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 jokester. <laughs> you know, there's Tiger, the businessman. There's is is all kinds of layers to this guy. Um, for me, I've just continued. I've I've kind of I've stopped looking to Tiger as the guy. You know. Uh, who I want to idolize and marvel at in anything other than just the competitor, Tiger, the competitor and what he's done for the game of golf and what he does for us when he's on camera, trying to beat his, his peers, what he's done to, to create the John Roms and the Max Homas and the Justin Thomases and cultivating this, engaging with this next generation. I'm I'm all for it. I think watching him over the course of the last four days at Riviera do what he did, shoot what he shot, hit it 335 yard, you know, drive it by all these guys, swing speed. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Every time he tees it up, I'm with Tiger. I think he can potentially win a win a golf tournament. Ben Crenshaw had no business winning the the Masters the second time. He had no game. Nothing was going to say that he was capable of doing that. He caught magic. Harvey Penix funeral came in, boom, won the Masters. Jack Nicholas had no business winning the 86 Masters. He was done. He came back and won, won another major champion. You know, Darren Clark, done, won an open champion. Adam Scott was done. He was flawed. He can't putt, win, wins a major champion. Like Justin Rose at the age of 32 wins a U.S. Open. Like he was gone. Again, I keep saying if they all can do it, then why can't Tiger, you know, Tom Watson at the age of 59, almost won an open championship. So if Tom Watson can do it at the age of 59, you don't think Tiger Woods can't? Of course he can. If he can hit it 330 and be Tiger Woods and finish four rounds like he just did at a very hard walking golf course, then, you know, I'm here to watch him go on and win another PGA Tour event and or majors or do whatever he wants to do in the game of golf. If I'm looking to Tiger Woods to be a role model for me as a man or for my kids to role model him as like how he conducts himself off the course or if he happens to get caught sliding a Tampax to Justin Thomas in a very private sort of jovial uh, you know, buddy to buddy little side joke that obviously he orchestrated well before, you know, walking off that T he knew he was going to drive it by these guys. And he set that up in which he was going to, and it happened to get caught by a camera that zoomed in and realized, Oh, he was passing him a tampon. It's like, did, did it surprise anybody on this podcast that tiger woods is like sense of humor is always been, like the least impressive thing about Tiger Woods. <laughs> he yeah. has been laughed at by people his whole life, regardless of whether the jokes are funny or not. He's not, you know, he can say something funny. We all can't. He's just not a comedian. 
he's not who I'm looking to. Like he is the most awkward guy I've ever, one of the most awkward people I've ever been around. But I marvel at his competitive nature, his dogged approach to trying to be the greatest of all time. I marvel at his 82 wins and 15 majors. But when he does shit like that, it's like, yeah, that's Tiger. Uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, you know. Like, well, I mean, we don't have to debate the merits of whether or not it was a funny joke, um, but it, it is revealing. And certainly there, there's been a lot of discussion about it. And the, the comment that has amused me the most on Twitter is that it was just a private joke between two guys. It's like Tiger, more than anybody knows that every single thing he does or says is always going to be looked at through a magnifying glass. <laughs> I and can't believe he, he did it. He's I in mean, the middle of a tournament and he... No matter how smooth he is, people are going to see some some handoff. The whole point is to get a reaction from Justin. Someone's going to catch it. They zoom in on everything. I mean, remember his his chip tooth years ago? Like he like he tried to hide that under the scarf. Like he should know more than anyone that it, it's going to get found out. And as you say, Matt, it was clearly like you know how long is he carrying that in his pocket for holes? Like what if it had fallen out and he's going to mark a putt? Like the whole thing is just like so ridiculous and sophomoric. And um, but it is revealing of who Tiger really is, and we've known it all along. Go back to GQ at the beginning. Why he stopped hating the press, started hating the press in the beginning. He's just he's yeah. got like this odd sense of humor. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it basically it's one of the things that happens when you become famous. Is I think your development basically stops when you become famous, whatever age that is. So for Tiger, it was definitely 20 but possibly 16 or 17 like he's never really matured beyond that and there's little glimpses of it at inopportune times like what just happened and you know it, we're not going to pretend it was a, a international crisis but it, it was just kind of dumb and it it definitely besmirched was otherwise an impressive performance but i will say i don't fully agree with what you said matt like all those guys you cited who who pulled off unlikely major championship victories, their bodies were sound. Now their golf games could come and go, um, and they had things going on in their lives. Whether it was Jack facing bankruptcy or Ben Crenshaw losing his 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 instructor, but Tiger, can he wake up four days in a row af after three or four or seven or eight days of preparation? Can he wake up four days in a row at a major championship where his body feels good and he's able to make the swings he wants and he's not exhausted by the last five holes? And like we well, know ben Hogan. Look at Ben Hogan. I, How I many know. majors did you win after the car crash? That, that is the precedent. But it's like, I mean, there's clearly still some magic in Tiger's hands. Some of those shots he hit. He remains a great tactician and a lot of these these majors become more like chess than anything else so you can never count them out but you know if you just if you look at at his results in all these events since he's come back he just gets generally worse as the week goes on and sundays when he's really struggling and um so maybe that can change but it doesn't feel like what's going on in his body can necessarily be rehabbed in a gym right it's not like i don't think he can make his ankle stronger or he would have by now. He's had a lot of time, right? Like, it feels like he's probably as good as he can be physically right now. I don't know how he gets 20 or, or 60 or 80% better, which is what he, what he probably needs. So, obviously, I'm not uh, I'm not a physical trainer. I just play one on the internet. But um, I, I, it's hard to imagine Tiger's going to get any better physically, and he could only get worse. So, whether he's got four days in a row of really clean golf, which is what it's going to take to beat John Rahm right now, I mean... 
Also, 8,000 yards, Alan, at Augusta National when you count it all in. I mean, look at how optimized Rom is and Max Homa and Cam Smith. He'll be at the majors and Rory McIlroy. Tiger has to beat all those guys. They're not all going to have a bad week at the same time. Like, he's just given up so much. Um, so I, I just want to clip this. I just want to clip this, Jake. Clip this, Jake. Yeah. And uh, he's Tiger. Yeah, this is, is going to be the lead on the Sunday night Masters when Tiger's slipping on the green jacket. I've been wrong before. before. None of what you're going to say now is going to be it part of the clip that we show. So it's too late. So like you've already you've already said it. We're not going to add like but 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 no no but no. but nothing. Like everyone's going to destroy you guys when we just take that minute and a half. Like he impossible, no way, can't do it. And it's just like oh, Tiger's winning another green jacket. I didn't say it's impossible. I didn't say he can't do it. Again, just, Alan, none of what you're about to say is going to help the clip. That this, this, this golf course has always been his nemesis. I think just if you look at his ability, his swing speed, his ability to move the golf ball, and given his competitive nature and his hands and his ability to get the ball in the hole and, and what he does you know, under pressure, I, I mean, 82 and 15. Add up all the guys we you just talk about. To li- list them, go through all their. Pr- you can't add up their credentials to get to eighty-two and fifteen. If Tiger could take a golf cart in the majors, I would say he's much more dangerous. He has to walk thirty miles in four days. He can't get from the parking lot to the first tee without a major pimp swag because he's just he can't. He's got a huge limp. Like, do you guys follow the Twitter account Old Takes Exposed? You of know, course. For moments just like this right here, that clip is going to go viral. <laughs> of like, he's oh, if he took a card or he can't do it or he can't walk, there. and then they're like, and it's just be like, oh, here's Alan and Matt talking about how Tiger can't win the match. Uh, I, I, I would love to be wrong. I would Michael, love to Michael, be wrong. Michael, t- what what are your thoughts? If uh, well, Matt, you Matt, you cited eight. You've cited 82 and 15 a number of times. Those are iconic, iconic numbers. Can you imagine if he can get to 83 and 16? If he gets to 83 and 16, then, of course, he's got Sneed. But then I think the math is going to change, and people are going to go back to the 86 math, which was, oh, Jack Nicklaus just won his 20th major. And on by that math, Tiger will be up to 19. (laughs) Right? Alan, help me out. Is that correct? Yeah, he would. He's still behind Jack, but one. Okay. Now the race is on. Well, the race has been on for a quarter century. I mean, listen, it would be spectacular. I was on the grounds in 19 Augusta and it was epic. And I never thought that would happen. And I said that ahead of that for years. Like, I think I said at some point, you know, after all the surgeries and the chip yips and shooting 85 the memorial and you know that humongous gouge he made on the, the first tee box at st andrews and all that i mean i said if tiger Woods can come back and win any tournament even the bob hope it'll be one of the greatest accomplishments of his career and not only he won the he won the tour championship he won the freaking masters like i've been wrong before and that's why i i'm never definitive like you're trying to make it out to be ryan i always leave a little wiggle room yeah again, again it is, the it clip that we're going to clip yeah but they, they can edit out that wiggle room alan you still get buried Hey, we're not running any of this. The Fine. clip that we're going to take Whatever. out is very definitive. I would. Oh, people I being would be people, they, they'll say things like, 
oh, does Alan Shipnock know that it's not called the Bob Hope anymore? <laughs> yeah, I think he knows. But he'll still make <laughs> out to think like, oh, he thinks the Bob Hope still. Michael, I w- I'd be curious just to get your thoughts given your place in the game and your perspective, but Tiger, the man and evolution and the, the, you know, the, the odd sense of humor and the incident uh, with Justin Thomas and what, 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 what's your, what are your thoughts on all that? You know, the overall statement on Tiger will always be what it was from the beginning, from the most unlikely background with a a mother uh, who's an immigrant a father who faced so much racism as a kid who grew up playing not country club golf, but military golf, uh, who came at the game with a completely different perspective and dominated like nobody has ever dominated any sport ever. Really? Secretary would probably be the only thing that comes to mind. So he Kelly will- Slater, Kelly Slater, Kelly right. Slater. Okay. That's interesting. Um, not knowledgeable to, to, to know that, but I'll, I'll take your word for that. But uh, I, I think he'll go down in history that all that other stuff will just sort of fall by the wayside. And we'll think of him uh, as we think of, you know, the great boxers of, of yesteryear as just a completely dominant athlete for whom the mindset was everything. And you take all the talent in the world and then have the mindset of, um, I will not accept defeat. And we are definitely, including this week, seeing it still to this day. Uh, he nearly killed himself in that car crash. That car crash is completely inexplicable. And we, we don't need to get into it because we've, we, we've done it before. And to come back and just to be able to play four rounds of golf and beat a lot of people, beat everybody who didn't make the cut, and then he beat you know 20 or so other players. I don't know the exact number is a remarkable statement to the broad thing of what we're saying. There is no quit in this person's mentality. And uh, he separated himself from the crowd forever on that basis alone. You don't, Michael, you don't think that all the off the course stuff is going to be part of how Tiger's thought of, because it's certainly, it's it's elevated Jack Nicholas in that he, he was such a classy champion and he was such a gracious loser. And Tiger's both of those things too. But when, you know, the, the totality of why Nicholas has been so revered for so long was just the way he, he lived his life with, with Barbara and the kids and all this and that. And, uh, you know, for better and for worse, it becomes part of how athletes are remembered. And uh, you, you don't think that's going to be, I mean, cause when I watch tiger now, I feel a, a deep pang of melancholy because he's just destroyed his body in so many different ways. And it's been mostly willful and, and like the it's the ultimate what if in in golf is with take away the sex scandal how many how many majors does does tiger have i mean that sent that derailed his career in in a profound way and whatever he was searching for in the kill house with the green berets when he hurt his knee and you know possibly busted his achilles and and all these things like this all has played got him to where he is now and you know the car accident uh, you know, as he always said, it's in the police report. It is in the police report. I mean, that pedal was held down at 99% force throughout the whole thing. That's, you can't say he fell asleep or he was just, he was just texting like something really dark happened there. And you know, he, he's just his, it's a monumental career even without, without all that others. But to me, it's the ultimate what if. And um, so, you know, 
he's a, he's a year older than what than Jack was when he won the Masters, but like Jack and Arnie, they were hale and hearty into their sixties and seventies. I mean, they could still swing the club and they could still they could still walk golf courses and and competitive golf was part of their life still. And that Tiger's taken that away from himself in a large part. I mean, so I don't know. I I agree that Tiger's the most dominant golfer who's ever lived, despite everything. But I do think that everything is is part of his legacy. Alan, it's fascinating to hear you all say all that. You remind me of somebody I know very well, me, because that's exactly how I feel about everything. But I've got a big accept, and the big accept is this. It's the power of the Nike argument, winning takes care of everything. I think all those things that are so important to the four of us, all those subtle things, how he, how Big Jack handled all those 19 runner-up finishes in the majors. We saw the arm go around uh, Watson at Turnberry and Literally hundreds of other things, you know, how he handled the President's Cup in South Africa and the thing with Jacqueline and, and giving him the putt at the Ryder Cup. Literally a hundred plus things over the years. And Tiger doesn't have that. But we live in a culture now where it's all about how'd you make the money? How'd you win the, not, not how'd you win the tournaments, did you win the tournaments? Uh, he's got the 83 and the 16 or whatever it turns out to be in the end. And uh, no, if we're really talking about legacy, if that's what this conversation is now about, no, I don't think all those other things that are so meaningful to the four of us, I don't think it, broadly speaking, I don't, I don't think they'll, they'll matter. And just, just one quick additional thought to that. I was stunned, not stunned, that really wouldn't be the right word, but I was interested to hear Tigers refer to Arnold as, quote, my hero. And I knew that he admired Arnold greatly, and there's a lot to admire about Arnold, but th these two guys couldn't be more different. Uh, but when he said that, it tells me, I think it tells me that he wishes he had what Arnold had, which is natural warmth, natural desire to be around people, and just really, at the end of the day, an immense comfort with himself and joy from being the person that he is, where I don't think Tiger, sadly, has that. I'll take it from one different angle, is that Please. one of the people in this conversation that we're talking about outside of Tiger was a famous womanizer too. It's a different time, right? Like the car wreck and the social media and TMZ and all of those things changed the golf. Like, I mean, it, or Jake, you can cut it out or whatever. I mean, Arnold was a famous womanizer. We all know that. Like, like he had people, but like, it's a different time, right? Like no one ever took pictures of anyone else where it is. So I think I'm, I'm not, the article, I mean, my deeper thoughts are in an article that'll be out today, but like uh, his transgressions are indefensible. Uh, but it's a different time. Like we didn't, we didn't, we didn't live in a world where every movement of every famous person was put on social media. I, I totally agree. I, you know, part of me thinks that that's, you know, why Tiger wishes he could be Arnold, you know, could be Arnold Palmer, could could do do whatever he was do the womanizing and the drug addictions and the, you know, getting pulled over and not even knowing what state he's in. I mean, the 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 car accidents, the I again, he's a flawed individual. And so is Phil. And, you know, in many ways, so was Arnold Palmer. And, you know, Jack Nicholas, I mean, everybody has their, their stuff. 
but you know, Ray Lewis is on ESPN being lauded as like one of the great, like what, you know, George Foreman was a flawed individual and reinvented himself. You know, Tom Weisskopf, we talked about him last week, you know, he de- dealt, with, dealt with alcohol addiction and, and, and had, had, you know, had a horrible reputation as a pro and reinvented himself, became an incredible analyst, incredible architect and shared openly about like all the evolution. He's got like at the end of the day, they're people. These guys are, are actually human beings. They're going through their stuff. They were the products of their environment. You know, Tiger as, as a teen was predicted to like have more of an impact or just as much of an impact as Gandhi. Like, what is that? Like, where does that, like, what is all of that? You know? So yeah, he's, he's flawed. He's got issues. I'm just compartmentalize him and look to him and marvel at him as strictly like this competitor in, in, and when the gun goes off, the guy is one of the toughest guys to beat regardless of the situation. I marvel at his, his abilities under pressure, his accomplishments inside the ropes, outside the ropes. I, I don't, I don't, you know, he is, it is what he is. It's just, he's an athlete. He is not, he's not God's gift to like mankind beyond if you really love and appreciate the game of golf. I, I just, I don't, I don't try to make him something he's not. I mean, that's all well said, Matt, but part, part of why we care about athletes is because they are humans and we get invested in their lives. I mean, why was, to use your example, like why was the Crenshaw victory so emotional? It's because it's, it's because of what was happening away from the golf course. You know, the, the, the hug between Phil and Amy in 2010, cause she had cancer, you know, and he, he wins the masters for her. Like it's, it's what's, it's the, it's the humanity that draws us to them. Otherwise they're just, you know, everyone's hitting the same seven iron. Who cares? That, I mean, okay. I'm going to pop my article again, but like, that's, that is why I love tiger is he's flawed. I'm not defending any of those things. None of them. Like yeah. they're indefensible. John Daly. Like none of them, but we're all like, I mean, the opening article is uh, sit and think about the worst mistake you've ever made in your life and have it played out on in public persona and be uh, lauded from the age of two, literally uh, as the greatest thing to mankind and not grow up with some sort of ego where you think that you can get away with, the things that Tiger thinks he can get away with still only three years ago, he was busted for, for, uh, you know, DUI or under the influence. Um, I just, uh, he's a flawed human. So we're all flawed and he's among it. And maybe he's more flawed than all of us. Uh, but he has seemed to mature a little bit, seems to be a good father. He gets along with Elon, which is, or it seems to, they see, obviously we're not privy to private conversations, but the fact that they share custody and not have a public fight in court all the time speaks to at least a little bit of uh, maturing on his part. So I see where you guys are coming from. I take it from a different angle. And that's great. I, we, that's, I love that. And, you know, I have a lot of empathy for Tiger. Like he's, he's been through a lot and I'm, if I sound like I'm judging on that, that's not it at all. I'm just looking at it in, in the context of, to me, when I see his career and what could be, it's hard not to feel a pang because it, it's, you know. Totally agree with that. 
hundred percent. I do too. I, but I mean, the, the only, the only word that maybe would be better than career for me in that sense, Alan, would be his life. I mean, how can you look at Tiger Woods, life and not be in pain for him? And, you know, millions and millions of people would have traded a place with Arnold Palmer in a New York minute. But I don't know that millions of people would trade a place with Tiger Woods. I don't think Rory McIlroy would trade places with Tiger Woods. No, definitely not. Um, or I'm not sure even a guy like Max Homos never win a major would Jane would trade places with him. But um, Alan, I'm curious to know you're, you, you've, you've done a lot of reporting this year. Uh, one of the things that separates live golf from the PGA tours, of course, the size of the field, Tiger has such a big voice uh, in the tour and what will happen to these elevated events uh, a year from now when there's a reconfiguration of what these elevated events are. What do you think the size, if Tiger could have his stamp on it, what do you think the size of the field would be for, uh, for the LA tournament? I want to say 70. It, it may get, wow. Bumped up. You think that's what Tiger would want? Only 70. Yeah. Rory I came mean, out and said, that's what he wants. Yeah. Uh, Rory said, that's what Tiger wants. No, that he, that's what he wants. That's okay. what Rory wants. I mean, honestly, Rory has more juice than Tiger now. Cause he's the guy who's talking to players every week and he's on the board of directors. And, um, you know, <laughs> Tiger is, is, he's tiger, but he's, he's not a, really a, playing a lot of PJ tour events anymore. So, uh, and also, I mean, tiger more than anybody else believes in a meritocracy. And so I think he would say, listen, if you want to, if you want to be in the field, play better, I think he'd be the ultimate play better guy. And, um, you, you, you can always play your way into the field, but you got to make more birdies. So, um, it could, but there is, there's a vicious debate going on among the players and the, it could, it that could get bumped up to 80 or 90. Um, I mean, but a, even a hundred just stretch. So I, I, I think 70, 80 or 90, no cut or with a cut. Well, when you get to that many people, you'd have to have a cut, you know, 70, there's, there's probably just enough, uh, you know, what you do can, you do? You can make cut it work. 20 players from 70. What's that? Cut 20 players from 70. No, 70 would be no cut. 70 would be no cut. No I cut. See. If you get to 100, you're going to have to have a cut. But um, so, you know, I think this turn, I think, you know, now Keith Mitchell didn't play well. He swings beautifully. I like to watch him swing. But to me, with Ke- having Keith Mitchell in the mix, makes the tournament more interesting. Yeah. Kashmir Keith, he's fun to watch. I mean, but he's um, he's a guy who's, who's upwardly mobile in his career. And, you know, if, it's, if you're in the top 70, you're stoked because then you know you're going to show up these tournaments a dozen times a year or whatever. And you're going to, you're going to make a check. You're gonna make a fat check. You don't have to worry about making the cut. And that's what these guys want. They want to get paid. I mean, they're pretty open about it. So, um, but anyway, that that'll get announced. I believe there's a, there's a big player meeting at Bay Hill. And I think, um, that's when it's going to get unveiled and it's going to go public. So we'll, uh, we're not gonna have to wait too much longer to, to get the resolution to this, but, before we go, I think we should just tip our caps to Bernhard Longer, who won again today on the senior tour, tied the all-time record uh, for wins with a guy named Hale Irwin. Um, and, you know, Michael, you're probably the world's foremost expert on Bernhard Longer. You've written a ton about him. And uh, I, I, was, I was like at the gym. I mean, I don't really follow the senior tour. I don't know who follows it super closely. And all of a sudden, it's like, Bernard Lager's like 1700. He's going to win this tournament. I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, is the guy 80 yet? It's just unbelievable. <laughs> I, okay. I, I have a question. I have a question yeah. before Michael answers. Better odds to win the Masters 
Bernhard Langer or Tiger Woods? Bernhard Langer has absolutely zero chance. Tiger has north of zero, so that's not a question. It's a question, but it's not. If they played the Masters for the members' tees, I would say Bernie Longer all the way. But at 7,700 yards, I mean, Tiger can still move it. Now, you know, power is a big thing there. So um, the answer to the question has to be Tiger. But it's it's not a question. I mean, Bernie can't hit it 330 yards. It's just not... You got it. But, you know. Wouldn't that be great if they if they said, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna do something a little different this year. We're gonna play it from from the members' tees, and we're gonna bake the greens out. We're gonna put the pins in crazy places, and like I would be all in on that. That's Freddie. Like, Freddie wins the by a mile. Freddie, yeah, Freddie wins that one. I think you're absolutely right about that. Um, <laughs> and of one, course, of great, well, one of the great moments from 2019. Alan, you and I have talked about this uh, when uh, after Tiger won and. Bro hug, bro hug, bro hug, and there, you know, you know, with Zach Johnson and Bubba and various others who are hanging around, and there's Bernhardt at the end of the receiving line, and just a manful, regular, conventional handshake from Tiger Woods to Bernhard Langer that really spoke of Tiger's respect for Langer uh, and Langer's respect for Tiger. I've spoken to both about about the other. That was cool. But, but again, I, I mean, and I've talked to Bernard a, a lot, and I've. I've, you know, I've bumped into him from time to time, crossing paths. You know, here's what here's what Longer does. He outworks his competition. He is on the ring. He is a machine. He is honing his game. John Rom, same thing. Max Homa, <clears throat> you know, a couple of years ago said, I- I'm done with podcast. I'm going to focus. I'm going to try to work, be the best I can possibly be. You know, there is something to be said for people who work really hard, who also have talent and experience. I mean, that is how Hale Irwin got to where he got. That's why Longer has gotten to where he's got. That's why Jack got to where he's got. Tiger is back to where he is today, being able to walk, make a cut, play four rounds, shoot four or five under, like because he's working at it. He's physically dedicating himself to getting to a place where he can hit it 330 yards off the tee and compete against the guys he wants to compete with. I mean, there. oh, by the way, work matters. Look at Longer. Longer doesn't just rock up and try to beat his competition. He outworks them, and that's why he's had the career he's had. His physique actually looks almost identical to what it does in what it did in 1985. Yeah, but what's amazing is he still has the, the, the need – and the desire to keep working like that into his late sixties. Like that's, what's incredible. It's incredible, but it is, it's there. It lives in him. That's what he is. It defines him. He's a golfer. He's dedicated to his craft. He wants it like, you know, that's what's in him. He's a golfer. Yeah. Oh, Carlos Frank was a golfer too. I mean, he, but he didn't try very hard, but like it, it you know, he probably had more talent than Bernhard longer, but it's just like, it, it's incredible. You know, I hope that when I'm Bernie's age, like I'm grinding like that. I have a Twitter follower who is so hung up on, uh, on uh, Bernhard anchoring and, and sends me pictures weekly of Bernhard. And finally, I just replied to him today. I usually ignore him <laughs> and I just replied. I was like, it's the champions tour, man. No one, no one is this mad about, about Bernhard uh, anchoring. But his I, career. I, I, Ryan, I actually have heard, I have heard other players who are plenty mad. But when you look at it really closely, it's like, oh, it's the blousy sweater that's you know, making contact. 
it's such a bad rule. They should never have allowed it in the first place. They should have kept putters for 36 inches or something. Uh, but as the great man says, it is what it is. Uh, I do have a fantasy. Matt, I'd like to hear your opinion on this and everybody else's because everyone else has heard me on this. I have this fantasy that Tiger will turn the three senior majors into a thing. Nobody's ever won. I don't think Gary Play ever did. Uh, the British Open, British Senior Open, British U.S. Senior Open, and the Senior PGA Championship in the same year. It would be neat if a healthy-ish-ish Tiger at 50 would say, I'm going after it. Uh, do, do you think, if that happened, Matt, do you think it could turn into a thing that people would care about if this one particular golfer, Tiger Woods, did it? Of course, any Tiger, anything. He made the PNC father and son a thing. It's like he can turn anything into a thing. He's about to turn simulator golf into a thing. He's doing it right under the nose of everybody who's balking at live doing a breakaway tour. He and Rory have their own breakaway tour. It's happening right as we speak, signing players, making a team concept, creating, you know, a, a, a more, you know, a more livelier venture of the game of golf, whatever tiger does that involves a golf club and a golf ball and some sense of scoring is a thing. It's official. Well, so, I mean, true. well uh, look at match with that match, match whatever rinse and repeat. Well, it was, you know, not, not to get too in the weeds on the future of the senior majors, but theoretically Phil could play those too. Even if he's banned from the senior tour, right? It's like, cause they're, uh, they're in the same the, the same little gray area as, as everything else so how about phil and tiger going at it head to head for the u.s senior open like that would be epic so um, um you're saying he is or he's not that fan from the you from the senior tour he's not they're they're not you know those tournaments are not under the the hammer of the pga the tour same reason yeah the yeah. same reason you can so, play the majors I mean, that, that could be, you know, that's delicious to think about. And it goes to what I said 40 minutes ago. I mean, Tiger in a golf cart is dangerous. And, um, uh, of course, they don't really use them in, in the majors, do they? I don't even watch the senior tour enough to know. I know they don't do it for the uh, U.S. No, senior. No, no, no sorry, I decided uh, to They're four rounds walking. Uh, uh, yeah. If the Champions Tour had gone back to 44 years old a long time ago, would would we be it? Would would live exist? Like if 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 these guys had the option of being able to extend their careers, the Paul Casey's and the Graham McDowell's and the you know Ian Poulter's and all these guys that are going to march towards their you know their that mid level zone in which they are struggling to compete against the 20 somethings, but they're not old enough to compete against the 50 somethings. Like why isn't the Champions Tour young? Why doesn't why doesn't the champions tour get down and start competing in all of this by creating a scenario in which people have the choice of playing both tours or playing one or not the other that's why not why not let these names that are in these tweener phases of their career have an outlet for competitive golf right but now i would say matt i think 20 years ago 44 45 might have looked like a better number now with guys staying as fit as they are i think 50 probably is a good number I, but but okay then what then then what what happened with all the guys that are now have gone to live that couldn't compete you know uh, compete against the PGA Tour you say that it's sort of true yes from a technology but but the younger guys benefit from that same technology that the forty somethings are benefiting from as well and it's all relative so is it 
it, can they still compete uh, with a bad back or a bad hit? You know, Lee West, the names go on and on and on. This was their out. Live was an outlet in which they can keep making money playing, com- quote, competitive golf. You guys want to hear a shocker? And I think Alan knows this. The first live event is in Tucson. No, it's in Mexico. The it's second the, one is in the Tucson. The first live event in the United States is in Tucson on a campus <laughs> course that nobody wants to play. Nobody <laughs> will care about that. Trip. If if people were more invested in the actual competition on live, someone would, would do a deep dive on the tournament venues um, because they're not a plus. And, um, but there's certainly going to be more articles about the Tenthalt Riviera than about the live schedule. But, uh, you know, yeah, that 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 course is no no bueno. The one they're going to in, in um, Tulsa, when you're like the the fourth best course in Tulsa, that's a problem. The one in Orlando, you would know that one, Matt. Um, Alan, can you just summarize for us the San Francisco uh, federal ruling and if it's meaningful and what it means? Oh God, yeah, man, we're touching them all on this podcast. So it is meaningful. The um in in this big antitrust suit between the you know Live is sued the PJ Tour. Um, they're now in the deposition phase, and the uh, the guy who runs a public investment fund, His Excellency Yasser Al Rumayan, um, who's very involved in all the negotiations, and um, I've heard you know when when he's part, he's a big part of Live Golf. There's no question he's been involved in the contracts and a lot of the decision making. No one disputes that. Um, so the PGA Tour player lawyers want to depose him. And the uh, Rumayan, he, his excellency, he's known as HE among the live players, or they call him the investor, which I like. It's kind of, he's the investor. He's claimed diplomatic immunity because he's the holder of many state secrets. I mean, he's one, of, he's probably the number two guy in all of Saudi Arabia. He's always been close to MBS. And this guy runs, you know, the PIF. And he's also the chairman of Aramco, which is the most profitable company in the world. Like, this is, this guy's he's the man he but he claimed diplomatic immunity and the judge basically said no sorry you're um if you're this involved in 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 the day-to-day dealings of of live golf you, you can be deposed so now that that puts you can imagine this is like alarm bells are going off in the palaces around saudi arabia because the last thing they want is for him to be deposed under oath and it introduces the 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 possibility that Liv could just withdraw the suit and be like, ah, never mind, it's not worth it, or they they could they could refile it in a much more limited way. But this is kind of the worst case scenario for Liv. They're now going to have to make a hard choice. Alan, how do you compel a non-U.S. citizen to uh, to stand under questioning of an American lawyer in an American court system? How does that work? Well, the, I mean, I'm not a lawyer. I just play one on the internet. But you know, the the court. The, the case is, is been live golf filed the case in, in, in California, in the United States. They, they chose the venue. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't do this in, in, in London or anywhere else. Like, you know, they, they, they chose, they set the rules of engagement. Therefore, um, the court has jurisdiction. And, um, you know, if, if, if Ryan doesn't give in, to, you know, I don't know what happens if he just flat out refuses to do it. Does the whole thing just fold, you know, um, but it it's just it's not a great scenario for live golf and so um how they handle this will be interesting to see doesn't mean that you know maybe he will ultimately be deposed and um there'll be some limits placed on what can and can't be asked but of course the 
the the tour lawyers are going to try to make it as uncomfortable and controversial as possible and and um that's why this is all so much fun all right this has been another fire drill podcast for matt janella and michael bamberger and ryan french i'm alan chipnuck thank you as always for listening we'll do this again next week i will actually be uh, calling in from mexico i'm going to be at the live event in mayacoba greg norman design um first event of the year should be juicy should be fun there'll be lots to talk about um but until then we appreciate your fidelity and uh that's the end i bet big and i played to win made a fortune when my ship came in i ran the table never thought i could fall then the winter time hit me like a cannonball and now I can't shake this losing streak Every road I take is a dead-end street I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out Trying not to think what I'm thinking about I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out Trying not to think what I'm thinking about When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.